Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. What does it mean to keep vigil? What does it mean to stay vigilant? Advent is a season for the church to practice something that we do all the time, do regularly. Advent is a season of practicing vigilance, practicing waiting with expectation. The celebration that we know is coming in one week, that's right, one week from today, we know that that celebration is not a rebirth of Christ. He's been born of Mary once. We celebrate Christmas because it helps us celebrate for the fact that Christ is going to come again. If he came once, he will come again. He will not abandon those whose flesh he shares He will not abandon the bride he has bought with his own blood. He will not stay in heaven forever. He cannot. He would not. And so he rose from the dead. And so he ascended into heaven. And so we hear in the creed his promise that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Not merely to be impartial, but also to vindicate those who have believed in him. Christ will come again. You know as well as me that no one likes waiting. When I ask my toddler to wait, he does not know what I mean. You're asking me to do nothing, Dad. How can you require me to just stand here and do nothing? And we think that's what waiting is. Is that what we're doing until Christ returns? Just doing nothing. No, we, that, that can't be the right answer. Paul, in his first letter to the Thessalonians, says that's not the right answer. Waiting looks very active. It's not fro- being frozen in time, as if we're in someone else's house, and they have plastic all over the furniture, and you don't want to stain anything, so you just stand in the middle of the room. But it's also not using the time for our own purposes. We're not busy bodies, just trying to stay busy, keep our mind off it until he comes back. No, Paul teaches us how to wait effectively, how to wait reasonably, how to wait Christianly. So we read some extra verses that weren't originally included in today's lectionary reading to give us a full picture of how the church waits for Christ. This is how to wait effectively. And at the center of it all, of course, stands the pink candle Historically, that reading was from uh, Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And we hear an echo of that in today's reading. Rejoice always. That is the chief task of waiting. It, It flows through every other activity of waiting. Waiting is characterized chiefly by joy. Joy runs through every other piece of advice and exhortation that Paul gives. Effective waiting must be joyful waiting because we know what we are waiting for. We wouldn't wait for it unless we had expectation. And because it is a good expectation and not an expectation of evil from our Lord, it's joyful. We know that Christ is coming. So every time we say the creed, We should perk up a little bit. We should lift up our heads and remember that Christ will come. But if that's the case, how will Christ find us? Will he find us as the part-time believers? Everything must be animated by a joyful, 
faith in Christ. Because we are expecting him any day now, every day now, gets to be animated by joy. And very practically, we can get into what Paul is talking about in his text. He begins in verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now, St. Paul himself was not pastor to the Thessalonians for very long. If you read in the book of Acts, chapter 17, it's really only like three weeks, maybe not even that. They grew in the faith under the care of other men, men who weren't you know, as perfect and inspired and apostolic as Paul. So why were they worthy of respect? Because they worked hard at what they did. These men were worthy of honor because they labored among them. They worked hard for the souls of their flock, like a shepherd that spends all night at the side of a trembling sheep, patting his head as he goes through illness. As he comforts them, as the sounds of the wolves get louder and louder closer to the pen, always having his hand on his staff to defend them. These pastors were like farmers that woke every morning diligently working the soil to reap a crop of godliness. A church is really the field of the pastor where he is called, and he seeks to cultivate the people. Like farmers, we should respect them. Like shepherds, we should respect them. These men who do good work, Paul says, esteem them, esteem them very highly in love because of their work. The Lord has ordained them over these congregations to be the voice of their Lord Jesus. And because we love the Lord Jesus, we give thanks for those who speak his word. They weren't using that office for dishonest gain. They didn't command. Of course, in order to be a good shepherd, sometimes you must bear with admonishment. And that will come sooner in this text. So with joy, Paul says, support your pastors in Christ. We avoid pitting the people against the pastor, a pastor against the people, because in the eyes of Christ, they really are all equal. All equally sheep under the, the head shepherd. That's why Paul adds, be at peace among yourselves. Now with that being said, pastors are not the only ones with their eyes on fellow Christians. The shepherd knows the weaker sheep, maybe very specifically, but it is the work of the whole flock to strengthen them. Next, Paul says, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Temptations abound, right? I don't need to remind you that it's hard to be a Christian. And listen to these words. Idle. I-D-L-E, that is. Idle, faint-hearted, and weak. These, these are not positive words. But these people are still Christians. They just need some special care. It's hard work to wait for Christ. And not everyone has a good knowledge of the scriptures. So some people become idle. They become busybodies. They see everyone else is doing something and they think, I should be doing something too. And they find something to do. Some people just end up frittering their time away on things that don't really matter. For example, and bear with me on this one, for example, uh, a nice handmade warm quilt is an amazing gift, especially for those who are homesick at the seminary. We love getting those every year from givers all around the country. 
But at the same time, we recognize that there are often other good works that we could be doing. We can't neglect those better good works. So we can't neglect the work of coming to the divine service. We can't replace making quilts for seminarians with coming to the divine service. Can't replace making quil- uh, we can't replace teaching Sunday school. Encouraging prayer at your family gatherings. As everyone gathers up, just thinking a word, can we give thanks to our Lord for these things? And older women, older men, mentoring younger families in the art of, of homemaking, of practical skills, of parenting. These are good works that Paul, in his letter to Titus, says are especially good works. They feel pretty normal. But Paul says this is how we wait. This is how you wait for Christ. Don't be idle. Don't do useless things, but do real substantial good works. Now to the faint-hearted, Paul says, be encouraged. If you barely dragged yourselves to church today on this cold, cold, wet morning, if you feel isolated from your friends and family, if you feel like you cannot speak the truth of Christ to your friends, family, to your co-workers, Paul says, take heart. Yet, Yes, Christ is still at his Father's right hand. He is still in heaven, but he has sent his Holy Spirit into your heart. God abides in you, and you are never alone. The Holy Spirit is constantly drawing you in to family, just as he's constantly drawing you into truth. He's bringing you to those godly relationships that can nourish your soul. The season can be lonesome for many people. But God wants to bring you into a family. There is so much joy to be found in this season, and we don't want anyone to miss out. The Holy Spirit has been given to help you find it. But if you don't see yourself as idle or faint-hearted, if you hear these words and say, that's not for me, Paul says to find the ones who are. He says, help the weak. But that word help can also be translated as, as bear with. As in, bear it with them. Hold it on their behalf. Your strength can make up for their weakness. Your knowledge of the scriptures can help someone who is ignorant. Your family can make up for their loneliness. Yes, it will be hard bearing with weak people who are struggling, who are maybe a little off because they're weak, because they don't know the scriptures, because they haven't been around family for a while. But that's why Christ gave every member of the body of Christ to every other member. We are members of each other. And so he says, be patient with them all. The joy of Christ moves us to reach out to our neighbors, both down the road and down the pew. Because he lives and reigns We are assured of an eternal kingdom to come. And we know, therefore, we have a lot to give. If Christ our Lord reigns over everything, then we do not begrudge giving to anyone. We even have the strength to do something that no one else can do. Forgive. Paul says, see that no one repays evil for evil, but all we seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Always seek to do good to one another. That is a tall order. But if Christ is king, and he is, we are commanded to do nothing less 
We are not in the office of holding grudges because Christ, our Lord, has died for the sins of the whole world. How can we hold against someone the sins which Christ graciously forgave before that sin was even done? An eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. And that would be our lot. Sorry, a bug flew in my ear. Uh, Taking recompense on each other, though, would be a harsh sentence, but Christ has come to visit us, and by his blood he has bought us for peace, so that we might forgive each other. Let us be at peace with one another. And that leads really to the center of it all. When we are at peace, when we're reaching out, when we're supplying each other's weaknesses, that joy that animated us at the beginning gets to be shared. Rejoice always. You have much to be thankful for, Paul says. You have the kingdom of heaven coming your way. Therefore, pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances. When you realize you have a need that God hasn't filled yet, let your requests be made known to God. And while you're at it, give thanks for what you do have. And maybe you'll realize that God knew what you needed before you asked, and he has already supplied it in a way you have not realized yet. A thankful heart is a joyful heart, is a faith-filled heart. Because we have a good God, and when he shows his kindness, we grow in faith. Practice praying to God. Practice thankfulness. For this is the will of God in Christ for you, Paul says. All of this is in contrast to this final portion, what comes next. Um, Do not quench the spirit Do not despise prophecies. Paul warns us against this. He wants us to stay vigilant in expectation with faith in God's word. Do not quench the spirit because the Holy Spirit really does dwell in you. He truly does. God himself made his home inside you, but he allows himself to be driven out. And it's a really curious word that Paul uses, doesn't he? Quench. Do not quench the spirit. Fire is quenched. Thirst is quenched. But the spirit? Yes, the Holy Spirit, God himself, can be tamped down. He can be driven out, treated with contempt. He allows himself to be treated like this. But why do people treat him like this? Paul is warning against finding reasons to disbelieve. Paul is warning against finding reasons to disbelieve the scriptures. When we hear a sermon, or when we read the Bible, or even when a good Christian friend or family member gives us a good bit of spiritual wisdom, something practical, something scriptural, we can judge it. We can call it too backwards, too historical, too medieval, maybe too Roman Catholic, or too evangelical and Methodist and community churchy. Or we can go the other way. We can hear a bit of spiritual wisdom and say, that sounds pretty liberal and progressive and political. I don't really want to do that. But God's word is God's word. We must test it. We must try it and see if it really is God's word. Because if it is God's word, it's true no matter whose mouth it comes out of. Now, maybe you will test that that piece of advice you got off a Facebook post, and maybe you'll find it's true and it is scriptural, but maybe you'll find it really doesn't fit with God's word. 
Paul says, test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. And with this final warning, Paul realized he has said everything he wants to say. He has given us a very brief sketch of the Christian art of waiting for Christ. If we step away from these practices, we will also step away from the faith. This is how Christians wait. This is even how we grow in holiness, Paul seems to say. We submit our minds to Scripture. We submit our spirits to the Holy Spirit. And we submit our bodies to work for our neighbor. We submit our whole selves to God. And in so doing, we find that God is sanctifying us. He's working in all these things. In our weak striving, in our attempts to be good, attempts to be holy as Christ is holy, as Christ, our Savior and Lord, who has bought us, is holy, we find that God is working within us, preparing us for the coming of Christ. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a blessing, a promise from God communicated from Pastor Paul to the Thessalonians. Yes, the pastor, the guy in the pulpit, asks you to do good works. These are just the good works that flow from faith, that assist you in faith. Faith in the Savior who has come down to save us has not withheld anything from you, not even his own body and his blood. He will come again to finish the job. And if you want to learn how to wait, you look at this passage. Just as God began your faith and teaches you to do good works, he will bring you to that final day. The final word of the text says, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Peace of God which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.